particular makes me a little nervous. The title of the service is Watch Your Tongue. Watch Your Tongue. Turn with me to James chapter 3. In James chapter 3, we hear a good deal about the tongue. We'll read the whole chapter, starting in at verse 1. James chapter 3, verse 1. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle his whole body. Behold, we put bits in horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold, also the ships, which though they be so great, and are driven by fierce winds, yet are they turned about by a very small helm, whethersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame, it is unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. When I was reading it over here this morning, I had to think, how big of a warning label would we need on our face if, the, if our mouth and it, it says, well, the tongue's inside. Caution, poison, fire, dangerous. You know, and if it was in the state of California, it'd be even a longer list. Uh, imagine all the cautions behind it if someone wrote down the cautions behind our tongue. And yet, often we're very free with our tongue. Often we speak very freely. We don't, sometimes... I say stuff, and then I, I think through what I'm saying. That is not a good rule of thumb. We're supposed to think through things and, and then say something. James starts out by giving the warning that if you teach, you're going to be responsible for what you teach. And he said, be not many masters. Do not have a lot of teachers amongst you. Not everyone's called to teach. And if what you teach is wrong or leads a person astray, you'll be receiving the greater condemnation, it says. If you teach, then you'll give account for what you're teaching. To teach or to preach, to guide someone through the use of words is a serious task. And every time I stand before you, I'm keenly aware that one day I will stand before the judge and I will give an account for the words I use and what I say and the direction in which I point people to. There's a certain amount of I don't know if it, I, sway that's held by a speaker 
that doesn't have interaction. So a, a person that's talking, you know, if you're not interacting with me, you can't necessarily refute what I'm saying. So I can have time to study, I can have all my notes together, and I can take you down a certain trail that seems very logical because of the way I studied and the way I presented it. And so a person can present falsehoods, a person can present lies that seem very convincing if they've studied and they've presented just their own facts. And so and when a person is speaking, they, they hold some authority, they hold some sway, they can direct people in a certain way. If you think of great men of history, some in bad terms, but Hitler held a lot of sway in the way that he spoke. A lot of people uh, followed him. You think of Herod the Great, was a great orator, and a lot of people came to listen to him so much that they said, it sounds like a God is speaking. So he, he had a great voice on him. He, had, uh, he spoke with uh, authority, and because he did not give God the glory, he was eaten by worms. Winston Churchill, uh, I think it said that he, when he, he mobilized, what, Britain? I'm not even sure where Winston Churchill was. But he mobilized people to fight a war. And it mostly was done through speech, okay? From the words that he, he rallied people around something by his speech. Sunday school teachers, make sure that when you say something as the gospel truth, that it is the gospel truth. We have a lot of young people that are like little sponges and they're soaking this all in and they're listening and they're, they're, they're absorbing what you're telling them. So we must be careful to be telling the truth, to be telling God's word. And even in an adult class, you know, there's times probably things are said wrong. Do we correct it then? If, if we come back next Sunday school class and you, you thought about your comments through the week and you said, you know, that, I was a little bit off. Well, do you make it right the next Sunday or do you oh, just let it go? Well, our words are powerful things. You're influencing people. You're, you're influencing the next generation. And what does the Bible say about offending the little ones? Turn with me to Matthew 18. And keep your finger in James chapter 3 because we're going to keep going back to it. Matthew 18, starting at verse 4. Whosoever, therefore, shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name, receiveth me. But whosoever shall offend one of these little ones, which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe unto the world because of fences, for it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom the offenseth cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand offend thee, I was going to stop at verse 7, offenses will come, but when we lead a child astray, it's an extra serious offense. Jesus loves the little children, and yet I've seen my fair share of parents leading their children out of churches because someone offended them, okay? And offenses will come. But if you leave your child out of one church because you're offended at that church and you don't take them to a good church, 
or you just say, I'm not going to church because I was offended at church, you're doing your child a great disservice. And I know a lot of my friends are out in the world today because of that very reason. And they don't care about church. And they don't care about Christianity. And they might profess to believe in God. But it, there was a great influence on them at a tender age in their life because the parent got offended. And maybe the offense was something that really hurt them. I'm not diminishing the offense. But are we thinking about the next generation? Are we thinking about what our children are seeing in us? Parents, we have a tremendous responsibility of raising up a child in the way that he should go. And sometimes I feel like I'm experimenting because my children are all so different. Uh, something that works on one doesn't work on the next one. And, and they, they react differently and they have different personalities and different characters. And it's hard to control our speech sometimes. Have you ever been frustrated at your child? Have you ever maybe raised your voice just a little bit or yelled at them? And maybe you said some words that you thought would put them back in their place. You know, they're getting a little out of line. I'll just tell them so. <laughs> I've done these things and I've had to go back to my children and ask for forgiveness and say, you know, daddy shouldn't have talked like that. Daddy shouldn't have raised his voice. It wasn't necessary. I'm sorry. Our words can be very discouraging to our children. And that's the last thing we as parents want. Many a child has lived up to his parents' expectations when they told him or her they would never amount to anything, or they're just lazy, or whatever it is, demeaning words. The other portion of children that were talked down to or made to feel unimportant were driven with a passion to prove their parent wrong. And so you have these driven children that are driven for maybe the wrong reasons because the parent didn't encourage them. They, they constantly criticized. And it's so easy to do to criticize these little things rather than say, okay, let's sit down and talk this over and, and encourage them. You can do better. You know, it's not saying we never find fault in what's done, but there's a way of reacting to the fault. And the easy thing, the easy route, you know, from, from my standpoint, I can see what's going on, and it's easy just to control by yelling or saying, hey, quit doing that, you know, and, and, and it's less work, right? And, and the louder dad yells, the more serious dad is, right? Is that what our children, <laughs> you know, that shouldn't be. That our children should come when we say, hey, can you, you might have to yell because they're a long ways out in the yard. I'm not faulting that. But our children shouldn't say, okay, dad put on his serious voice now, now we're going to listen. And all too often, I think that happens in our homes. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And Colossians 3, 21 says basically the same thing. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. And some of these things are really easy to do. Um, you know, you might think you're just teasing your child, but 
when it's causing them anger, later on it can discourage them. Back to James chapter 3, verse 3. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Actually, verse right before that, it says, For in many things we offend all. And sometimes I get caught up in the old English. For in many things we offend all. And I'm like, what does this even mean? But what it was saying is that we've all been tripped up by many things. We've all failed. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But it says, that person that has not offended by word the same as a perfect man and able also to bridle his whole body. Now, do you believe that? That's pretty amazing. If you have the ability to control your tongue, you have the ability to control every other area in your life. That's pretty amazing. And it's not just controlling your tongue for a time. James said, um, it's throughout life. It's when things get hard. It's when the tongue is tested. The problem is, without Christ and his spirit working in our lives, cleansing and purifying our speech to control one's tongue is impossible. You will not do it without the work of Christ in your life. Maybe for a moment. Verses 5 and 6 says, Even though the tongue is a little member, it's not a very big part of your body, it boasteth great things, and it has the ability to cause great damage. How big a fire is kindled by a few unkind or untrue words? Misleading words. You could probably all think of instances where words have started something. Or even true words spoken anger. Have you thought about that? True words spoken anger. You're ugly and your mother dresses you funny. Well, maybe true, but not necessary to be said, right? Uh, I put this one in for Lud. I was at a fight one evening when a hockey game broke out, and there were a lot of unkind words spoke that evening. There was a lot of tempers flaring. I can't remember what all went down, but there was, um, yeah, they were supposed to be playing hockey, and one thing led to another, and I think that's where I learned that phrase I just used. They were calling each other names, and that was some of the more tame things that were said. And these were supposed to be adult men. <laughs> and they'd got so caught up in whatever it was that they were playing that it, it got rather heated. And I remember my brother-in-law, he was there from Indiana, and he was cheering because he thought it was just the normal uh, way that the game was supposed to be played. And I was like, this isn't normal. We're supposed to be friends out here, you know. We're, most of us were going to church together. So, but... The angry words, words that cut deep. And sometimes we don't know how deep our words cut. We don't know what a person's going through. We don't know what a person's struggling with in their lives. And every now and again, we can hit that chord and we can say really hurtful things that hurt a lot deeper than we even realized they did. Because that person was struggling in that particular area. We didn't even know it. The term sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me couldn't be further from the truth. There's probably a host of people that rather get a good beating than to be lied about or ridiculed or slandered. 
Words have separated friends, started wars, split churches, divided families, and led to people's deaths. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, and is set on fire of hell. The tongue can no man tame, but is unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Have you ever talked down someone to make yourself look better? Have you ever been tempted to do that? So, so so-and-so did this, and the reason you're telling the story is because you didn't do it. And it makes you look like an okay person. Number one, that's not how it works. And two, that's of the devil. To talk someone down is of the devil. That's not why we're here. You won't find anywhere in the scriptures that says, well, you need to talk this person down and put them in their place. There's nowhere in scriptures that it says that. We're here to encourage, admonish, and build up one another. That's why we're here. How often have you told your child, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all? I use that phrase quite a bit at home. That's a good thought for us as adults as well. If we don't have something nice to say about a person, maybe we should keep our mouths shut. It's so tempting when, you know, you're just discussing with a friend, all of a sudden so-and-so comes up, and before you know it, you're talking about them. And it could be gossip, could be slanderous. Um, What do we say behind someone's back? If you're not willing to say it to their face, maybe you shouldn't be sharing it with everyone else. And there may be things that you're okay with sharing with the person to their face that you shouldn't be sharing with everyone else too, right? Maybe that's the person you should be sharing it with. If you have a concern, go to that person and express your concern to them. Uh, Better yet, pray for them. What is your goal, to build others up or to tear others down? Because words have a way of getting back to a person. You know that? (laughs) How did you hear about it? How did you hear what I said about you? Well, a little birdie told me. Well, those little birdies show up in the most inconvenient places, right? And and you thought, you know, I was just sharing this with a friend, and and now this person found out about it, and, and they're offended, and they're hurt because of what I was saying behind their back. Ecclesiastes 10.20 says, Curse not a king, no, not in thy thought. Curse not the rich in thy bedchamber, for a bird of the air shall carry thy voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. So it's kind of scriptural. There's ways that stories get back to people when you talk behind their back. I think we do have to have a place to share some things. Some things just build up inside. Uh, Married people have an advantage of this. I can share things with my wife that I won't share with anyone else. And I know that when I share it with her, it's not going anywhere else. And so I can share in confidence that I know I can tell this to my wife. She's not going to spread it around the neighborhood. And I have things that I need to get off my chest. And I can share them with her. And then I can let it go. Otherwise, sometimes it just festers inside. Um, So there is people that you can be confident with. But sometimes our sharing amongst friends is a little bit like, well, I I promised somebody that I would not tell their secret. And so I'm not going to tell the secret. But I'm going to give you all the details, and I'm going to leave the names out. But we know who the person is referring to, so you might as well share the secret, right? I thought of Samson and Delilah. You know, tell me where your strength is coming from. 
Well, no, I can't tell you. Well, I can tell you close. You know, if, if, you, if you tie my hands up behind my back with new cords that have never been uh, used anywhere else, then I'll lose my strength. And no, that's not quite right. And he kept getting closer and closer to the truth. You know, just tell me. I won't tell anyone else. This thing of gossip is prevalent in our churches. And it's against the scripture to be spreading stories or things about people. Um, it's the reason Facebook's so popular. You know, a lot of people go on Facebook to learn the latest news. Uh, there's some of it, keeping up with friends, fine. But there's some that people are just going through and they're, they're looking for stories and there's something built in us that we like to know what's going on. And we, if we hear a juicy story about something else, certain people get a bigger thrill out of that than others, right? And, and there, there's some people that are always in the know. Why? Where are they getting all this from? Where, where does all this news travel to? Is it necessary? Is it building people up? Is it drawing us closer together? I will tell you this, there are some secrets that you don't want to be responsible for keeping. Okay? So, someone says, well, I'll tell you something if you promise you'll not tell anyone else. Okay? Are you willing to do that? So, I promise you, I won't tell anyone else. Well, I killed this person. <laughs> oh. Well, you just promised you wouldn't tell anyone else. And now you're... Now, that's an extreme example. But there's things. Do you want to be guilty of another person's sin when you, you promised... Okay, you're not telling. Do you want to harbor someone else's sin because you promised you would keep a secret? Be careful what you commit to. To be in a position where you help to cover sin, you may very, be, very well be guilty of that sin. In court of law, if you conceal a murder and you do it knowledgeably, you can be guilty to some extent for concealing that matter. In the church, in the scripture, when you stand before the Almighty God and you're concealing sin, you may give an account for that as well. Going on in James, says, Every kind of beast and the birds and serpents and things of the sea, these have all been tamed. It's amazing the size of animals that have been tamed. I think of monkeys, horses, cows, Bulls, elephants, lions, tigers, dolphins. All these things have been tamed. Uh, animals and creatures much larger and more powerful and vicious than man has been brought into subjection. And yet it says, that little tongue can no man tame. Have you learned to tame your tongue? If you have, it's because of God's working in your heart. But all too often, I wonder, instead of learning to tame our tongue, we've just got a little better at biting our tongue. Is that possible? So our tongue's not tamed. We've just gotten better at biting it. Let me explain. Under normal circumstances, the tongue speaks what the mind tells it to. So we can be pretty good at saying the right things at the right time. But when this changes is when we're brought under pressure. What happens when you're put under pressure and you're, you're squeezed a little bit? Then what comes out of your mouth? Suddenly the mind 
loses a little bit of that control and you start speaking what's in the heart and you start speaking what you've been feeding on and you start speaking what's really on the inside. We'll see if this works. So I got a sponge here. And what what is a normal thing with what does a sponge do? Soak stuff up. And so if I put water, pure water in this sponge, what's going to come out? Well, more pure water because it's what I put in the sponge. So what you put in is what's going to come out. So I have another sponge that's not so pure. And this sponge said, well, it doesn't really matter. I'm, I'm going to listen to some music, but I'm not going to let it influence the way I think. I'm going to do whatever it is and, and partake of the filth of this world, but it's not going to influence my mind. It's not going to influence the way I speak. But that's the, not the way it works. If we're taking it in, that's then what will come out. And I don't think clean water is going to come out of this sponge. It's going to be muddy water because it's what was taken into the sponge. If, it's, if we take in dirt, if we're taking in filth, it's also what's going to come out when we're put under pressure, when our backs are against the wall, when we're stressed out, when someone um, says some unkind words about us, when we hit our thumb with a hammer or the disc bind runs into a big rock. You know, th these things reveal what's truly on the inside. What happens when you're squeezed? Then it goes on to say, Out of the same mouth we bless God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men which are made after the image of God. So let me ask you a rhetorical question. When was the last time you cursed someone? So most of us would say, well, I don't make a habit of cursing people. I can only think of one instance in my, in my life uh, where I cursed at someone, uh, and that was a long time ago, and it came out of frustration and harboring bad words that I should have not been harboring. And once again, sports are a bad thing. <laughs> to, they bring out the worst of you if you get caught up in them. And so, but... Is that what it's talking about with here in James? Because I don't think most of us struggle with cursing out someone. I don't think that's what we struggle with. Well, when I looked into this, the meaning of curse, it means to doom or pronounce judgment upon someone. Well, does that get a little closer to home? How often do you pronounce judgment on someone when you're talking about them? Now, I want to be careful what I say, but I want us to consider this. Is it possible that we, in essence, curse another while giving the pretense that we deeply care about that person? Proverbs 16, 27, An ungodly man diggeth up evil, and his lips there is a burning fire. A forward man soweth strife, and a whisper separateth chief friends. This sometimes even happens when giving prayer requests and putting them in context. 
Not all prayer requests needs to be put in context. You believe that? We don't need to put all prayer requests in context. We pray to a heavenly father that knows the situation. He knows the details. He knows everything about what's going on. To go back and dig up a bunch of dirt and say, you know, if I talk about Bradley's neighbor and, you know, he's been a I, he's been abusing drugs and he's into moral problems and uh, he hits his children and he lost his driver's license and I just wanted to request prayer for him. Well, is that all necessary? We, we could have prayed for Bradley's neighbor and our father, which is in heaven, would have directed that prayer to be just as precise as it needed to be. If you're requesting prayer for yourself, go ahead. Be as detailed as you want to be. But if you're requesting prayer for another person, be careful that it does not turn into slander and gossip and tearing another down. These things have ways of getting back to the people. Even here, if we request prayer about someone in our community, there's ways that these things are getting back to people in our community. And if, and if it sounds like we're tearing them down here, are we going to be able to witness to them in the future? I don't think we're going to be able to. And after church, the whispers continue, and you start to ask the person who presented the prayer request, well, I need a few more details. That sounded pretty juicy. That sounded awful, you know. We should really be praying for that person. And yet, we go home feeling sorry for the person and do very little praying. Have you ever told someone, I'm going to pray for you, and then you go home and forget about it? I've done it. It's a pretty easy thing to say. Well, I'll say a prayer for you. And so I've had to start making a, a habit, if I tell someone I'm going to pray for them, to do it directly after that, or as soon as I can, while they're still on my mind, and actually pray for them. Don't just think about them. You know, I can, I can spend some time thinking about Peggy. You know, I'm, I'm sorry that she's hurting. But am I praying for her? Am I pleading for God to heal her? And, and these are things that we should be doing. Can sweet water and bitter water flow out of the same fountain? That's not a natural occurrence. It doesn't happen in nature. When you have a good spring... It doesn't flow out salt water, not back here in Highland. <laughs> to encourage those, to encourage and build up people on one hand, and then use derogatory words and tear them down when they're not around, that's not the way it works. Verse 13, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you, let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. Well, you say, Dave, that's just not my personality. I, I'm angry by nature. <laughs> okay, you need a new nature. And Jesus is willing to give you that. When Jesus dwells in our heart, these things need to change. Change. James 1.19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren. Now, we need to get this. Let every man be swift to hear, 
slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. If we'd all spend a little more time listening, and a little less time talking, we'd all be further ahead. And that's hard to do sometimes. Do our words draw men to Christ, or do they drive them away? If a person is driven away by the reading or convicting of God's word, that is no fault of our own. But when they're driven away by our words and what we say, we are guilty for that. There's a saying coined by, I believe it was Ben Shapiro, facts don't care about your feelings. Okay? Facts don't care about your feelings. And I've heard others say that, you know, John the Baptist and Jesus used harsh language when referring to the Pharisees. And I'll, I'll read you that here in a little bit. And while I don't preach based on feelings, I'm not one who, you know, puts a lot of stock on feelings or emotions. But at the same time, I still care about them. I still care about how my words um, come across or make you feel. Decisions based on feelings and emotions alone often lead to making the wrong decision. So that's why I don't put a lot of stock on feelings and emotions. Because simply doing what feels good leads to a very destructive lifestyle. But what did Jesus say about our words? Matthew 12, 34. Here's case in point. Jesus said to the Pharisees, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. We're not Jesus. Uh, we don't know the heart. It's not up to us to say, I don't think I should be standing here and say, you know, you bunch of snakes, listen up. It, it's, that's not, that's not going to come across good. It, uh, you'd probably, I don't know, I'm not sure what you'd do. But that's not for me to do. Jesus knew the heart. John the Baptist was... Uh, divinely inspired. If I get divinely inspired to call someone a snake, I'll do it. But um, to speak harshly or to rebuke people um, is not what we've been called to do. We've been called to admonish and to love. Okay, here's what Jesus says. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account therefore in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. The speech that comes out of our lips has eternal ramifications. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Does this mean if we say all the right things that we'll be justified? No. Well, I guess, if we said all the right things. But we'd be saying them because it comes out of a pure heart. It comes out of a heart that's righteous. It comes out of a heart that's been changed. What about idle words? Are these, are these words simply spoken, or can they be words that are written? Are we going to give an account for written words, is the question I have. So, what about Twitter? Okay, I don't think many of you are on Twitter, maybe none of you anymore, um, but Twitter was known to be a, a, a playground for harassing people, okay? And there's other 
um, there's blogs. There used to be back. I'm so old that I know of Zanga. Uh, pro- <laughs> that that was like Facebook before Facebook, and there was a lot of um, unkind things shared on that platform, and unkind rhetoric. I think that there will be an accounting of the words that we write down. Sometimes it's easier to write someone a nasty letter than to tell it to their face. So I can, I'm going to let this person have it. I'm going to tell them my mind. I'm going to tell them what I think. And I'm going to write it to them, send it over. Or maybe I'll just post it publicly so everyone can know what a nasty person they are. Many a person has been tore down, made to feel like rot, and caused deep emotional distress by what is said online. And there's a lot of children and teenagers today that are committing suicide because they're getting bullied online. And someone said, well, why don't the parents just unplug the computer? Good question, right? That would save a lot of it. Unplug the computer. Uh, don't let them waste their time on these social media places, and it would solve a host of these insecurities that a lot of children are having. How about when we, if we're on social media and only posting positive or things that make us look like we have a glamorous lifestyle and causing others to be jealous or dissatisfied? Just some words of caution there. Colossians 4.1. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, which I am also in bonds, that I, make it, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak, walking in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Now catch this. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how, to, how ye ought to answer every man. Have you ever been amazed at the time people have for foolish behavior and the lack of time they have for God? Uh, that was me in my youth. I had a lot of time for foolish behavior and a little bit of time for God. I believe the reason that idle speech will be so condemning is because it's taking us away from the very reason and the purpose that we're here in life. We're here to bring God glory. We're here to build others up. People who grew up around me would be shocked to hear me say this stuff because as a youth, I engaged in a great deal of foolish talking. And one day I'm going to give an account for those things, for the things that I said to make others laugh or whatever it was. I'll give account for those words. I don't know how all that will look like. Um, I've put it under the blood. I've repented of these things. But I still think there will be given an account. And I'm not overly fond of the IRS. Uh, and I've never been audited by them. But I think it will be a lot more serious when you stand before the judge of the universe and you start giving account for the things that you've done and, and explain why did you do this? Because you're not going to lie to him. He knows what you've done. He knows why you did it. And so to tell the judge, I don't know how that all is going to work. Maybe if it's under the blood, you won't have to give an account for any of it. 
That's my hope. Um, but I think there will be an accounting if we don't put it under the blood. So if, if you've been guilty of just frivolous foolishness, um, put it under the blood. Confess it before God. Ephesians 4.15. But speak the truth in love may grow up in all th- unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. You can speak the truth, and then you can speak the truth in love. And those two things can be vastly different. When we speak the truth in love, people can feel it. They can feel the attitude. It's a lot different attitude when it's spoken in love. Back to James. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. How many times have you looked down on another person because you were a little bit ahead of them in your growth as a Christian? Has that ever happened where you you look down at someone that's doing the exact same things you were doing five years ago? Maybe not the exact same things, but down the same lines. I think we're often guilty. We've got to a different level, and then someone didn't live up to where we have gotten to in our minds. We're like, okay, well, I'm here now, and everyone else should be here now too. Not necessarily. We're all growing, and, and it says that there needs to be a lot of gentleness, a lot of mercy, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Matthew 7, 1 says, Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. So the standards you hold others to will be the standard God holds you to to some extent. Now you'll be held to God's standard whether you hold someone else to a standard or not. It can't be like, well, I'm not going to hold any standards for you, and God's going to let me get by with everything. That's not the way it works. But... Um, to be discerning is one thing, but to pass judgment on another person is another thing. To condemn a person and say, that person's wrong and I condemn them, <laughs> that's not our place. We can say, well, that person's not in a good place. If they say, well, I'm an atheist and I don't believe in God, it's not judging them to say, well, they need God. They need, to, the script, they need love. They need Christ. It's discernment. It doesn't even take discernment in that case. But by their fruits you shall know them. But to pass judgment upon someone is wrong. Romans 2, you can turn there. There's a couple verses in Romans I'd like to pick up on. Romans 2, starting at verse 1. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impotent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath, and revelation of righteous judgment of God, who will render every man according to his deeds. And I thought of these verses when we were in Sunday school, and I think it was Timmy that mentioned, you can show up 
on time to church every Sunday and every time the doors are open. But if it isn't because of what's in your heart, it doesn't make that big a difference. It might be changing you slowly, but if your heart doesn't desire to be with God's people, if your heart doesn't desire to be there, it could be like, well, I feel pretty good about myself, and I'm judging that person that didn't show up that one day, when you could be in the same boat if it's not in your heart. Then go down to 17. Behold, thou art called a Jew, and resteth in the law, and makest thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law, and art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which hast the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. Thou therefore that teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? There's different ways of stealing. There's going over to Patrick's store and taking a candy bar. Then there's taking someone's character and dragging it through the mud, and you're robbing them of something that is theirs. There's different ways. So I could teach, don't rob him at his store, but I can be stealing from you in a different way. There's different ways of committing adultery. It says, a man that looketh at a, a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery in her heart. So I could be preaching, do not commit adultery, and I could be looking at a woman to lust after her, and I'm doing the very same thing I'm preaching against. There's different forms of idolatry. There's a little stand and a little idol that sits up here and you could bow down to that little idol. Or there's something in your life that can take preeminence of God in your life and you could be worshiping that. And you might not even think it's an idol, but it's taking away uh, time that was meant for God and it's become the idol in your life. We must be careful that if we preach to others that we're also teaching ourselves, that we're also letting his words soak into our lives and that we're not being hypocrites. Here's a poem I found. I watched them tear a building down, a gang of men in a busy town. With a ho-heave-ho and a lusty yell, they swung a beam and the side wall fell. I asked the foreman, are these skilled and the men you'd hired if you had to build? He gave me a laugh and said, no indeed, just common labor is all I need. I can wreck in a day or two what builders have taken a year to do. And I thought to myself as I went on my way, which of these roles have I tried to play? Am I a builder who works with care, measuring life by rule and square? Am I shaping my deeds to a well-made plan, patiently doing the best I can? Or am I a wrecker who walks the town, content with the labor of tearing down? Which are you? Are you building up or tearing down? It's a lot easier to tear down than to build up. You can tear down, you can ruin a friendship that's taken years to build by a few unkind words. Ecclesiastes 12:11. we said this verse a couple times in our last uh, Bible memory. The words of wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the master of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. When I think of the master of assemblies, I don't think of a man carelessly running an air nailer. 
okay? Um, when I think of the master of assemblies, I think of a person that puts a well-placed nail and he, he puts it with precision and direction from the master or from the shepherd. And he drives it in carefully and it sticks and it holds. He's not just spraying a bunch of things out there and hoping something sticks. He's doing it with purpose and with a plan. Are we careful with our words? Or do we just ramble on? Are words coming from within and is Christ dwelling within? And that's where our words are coming from. What influences our speech? Let's end in Jude chapter 1. Or maybe the only chapter in Jude. Let's end in Jude. Starting at verse 17. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last times, who shall walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. But ye, beloved, build yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep thee from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. May God bless you as you look to speak words from him.